All right, good morning. I think everything is working. Let's do a show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. This is Just Human number 197. We're almost at 200 episodes, which is nuts. Um, I probably should do something special for episode 200, but I haven't I haven't thought of anything. Um, I'm over here dealing with some, some uh, allergies and um, getting ready to fly out to the event in Arizona this weekend. Um, I am not ready. <laughs> I am not ready to fly out. I am not I am not done packing. Uh I have not figured everything out. I'm going to have to rush it all between picking up kids from school and whatnot and uh fly out this evening. Um and so any of you that are going to be there in Arizona for the uh for the GART event, looking forward to meeting you and uh hanging out with you guys this weekend. Um, I will not be on Devolution Power Hour tonight. I don't know if there will be one. I think John was going to do one tonight solo or maybe with some um, someone else besides me and Burning Bright, because I think Burning Bright, both me and him are flying out tonight. Um, and then I won't have a show on Friday morning because I'll be in Arizona and no defected on Sunday night because um, I'm not I'm not taking all my streaming equipment with me. Um, to try and try and do a show from a hotel room late on Saturday, on Sunday night. So, um, and then that also means no show on Monday because I'll be flying back on Monday. So I guess this is the last just human episode for a week. 
<laughs> sorry about that but uh i think that's the way it's going to work out um the event is going to be streamed um from arizona so if you're interested in watching the event live you can buy virtual tickets you can go to badlandsmedia.tv and you can find where to buy virtual tickets and you'll be able to you know like you'll have a you can go to the website and you'll have a stream of all the panels we're doing and speakers um last i i don't know i think there are some people who are doing solo presentations or like a a subject matter presentation uh but mostly what we're going to be doing is panels because we feel like um we should do something a bit different than what the shows are so we're going to do panels um and we're trying to group some people together that aren't usually together to get some differing opinions and differing interaction between hosts. And then we're going to have Q and a with the audience. So I'm looking forward to it. That that's, you know, some of our best discussions that me and burning bride ever have are just based off prompting. It's not anything we planned. It's just, uh, someone in the audience in the chat or whatever asks something, um, or makes a comment or sends us a link or something like that. And it's, and it sparks a discussion um that lasts 15 minutes to five hours <laughs> so um i'm looking forward to to what the for, to getting some questions from the from the audience and just you know kicking stuff back and forth so today we are going to talk about the arrest that came out in the eastern, eastern district of new york um and we're going to talk about fox and dominion lawsuit and then i have a smattering of other things that i want to go over but first i want to do something i don't usually do um i try and promote my stuff and like tell you how to support the show here and there but i don't really try and make a real introduction of it today i'm going to do a real introduction of it um this is my substack just human.substack.com it is the number one way to support what i do because the majority of your dollar winds up going to me um Everything on my Substack is free, though. So if you're interested in my podcast or you're interested in things that I write, then justhuman.substack.com. Sign up with your email. Everything on there is free. But if you want to do a paid subscription, this is the best way to support what I do. My articles are over here on the right side under most popular. You can see these articles. I'm really proud of them, um, especially my most recent one, Small Clues, Sealed Cases, Future Shock. Um, I'm working on a new article right now. I'm hoping that I can get it done on the plane ride to Arizona. I'm actually, I tend to work pretty good when traveling on it. Like there's something about traveling and like being on an airplane and putting headphones in and just focusing on work. That is, it just really works for me. So I'm hoping I can get finish this new article while I'm in flight. Um, we'll see, but I do have something in the works that I'm pretty excited about. So justhuman.substack.com if you're interested. Something else I need to tell you about is that I have some merch over at redwhiteandbourbon45.com and they are doing a sale right now. It's Patriot Day sale. You get 17% off all orders over $76 and 100% of tips are split between me and Patrick Gunnels. We both have merch over here at this store. So if you're interested and you want some merch, then redwhitebourbon45.com has a sale right now. And I got to say, I like everything on here, but the coffee cups are seriously good, high-quality coffee cups. Extra-large, 15-ounce mugs. I really like them. It's a quality mug, and I'm a snob when it comes to such things. So 
Again, they have a sale right now. If you spend $76, you get 17% off. And then lastly, but certainly not least, BensonHoneyFarms.com. Go there, use rep code JUSTHUMAN. You get yourself some raw, delicious honey directly from the beekeepers. Best way to get honey. It's the best honey I've basically ever had. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just pure raw honey, and it's really good for you. It's helping me right now um, with allergies and stuff, as usual. Um, I'm always fighting allergies, but it's that time in, of year. It's that time of year where the trees in Virginia are having lots of sex. And uh, it's really annoying and irritating to me how they do that. So BensonHoneyFarms.com, get yourself some honey to help you fight off and fend off the allergies <laughs> created by the plants and their sex life. All right. Now I'm done with that goofy take. And thanks, guys, for all the support you do give. There's a whole bunch of you that uh, are subscribers and who, um, buy me coffee, buymecoffee.com slash just human who buy me coffee and leave me nice messages. I really appreciate it. I had some really kind, um, coffee buys in the past, over the past week or so. Um, some people left some really nice messages and, uh, a sincere thank you to you. those, those messages mean a lot to me, uh, to be honest. Sometimes you guys hit me in the feels, you know that? All right, so let's do some nerdy stuff. I wanted to point something out because we were talking about the, the leaker for DOD last on Monday. Big news story right now. Notice that they're trotting out the UFOs. Uh, there's a UFO hearing this week right in the middle of all this other big news that's going on that is so that is so important. They're trotting out UFOs as a distraction like they always do whenever there's some big news. Um, anyway, so uh, we were talking about DOD leaker and I was remarking about how he was charged under the espionage act. So I, I was looking and, um, I just happened to, I was looking at something else and I was like, what is the last case that Adam small was involved in? Let's see if I can find a recent Adam small case. And I found this one from September 29th, 2022, which would be just after, about two months after he joined Durham Special Counsel. So he's doing work for both DOJ and Durham Special Counsel, it seems. But that's not that's not too unusual. Some of other some other people that were assigned to Durham Special Counsel, some other attorneys that were on it were also they also had other cases going while they were working for Durham Special Counsel. So I found this case, and this is an NSA employee who was um, charged last year with um, offering to sell classified information that he was taking. And um, just to give you a quick rundown of this, the circumstances of it, and, I, and I'm, I'm offering this, one, just because it's notable that Adam Small was involved in it, but two, because it's somewhat similar to uh, the case we just saw with the DOD leaker, but there's a key difference here. And let's, I'll, I'll point it out once we get to it. So this has to do with Jera Sebastian Dalka. I'm thinking it's or Dalky uh, was an I'm thinking it's Dalka was an employee of the National Security Agency where he served as an information system security designer from June 6, 2022 to July 1st, 2022. So only a month, according to the affidavit in support of the criminal complaint between August and September of 2022. 
Dawka used an encrypted email account to transmit excerpts of three classified documents he had obtained during his employment to an individual he believed to be working for a former, former government. In actuality, that person was an undercover FBI agent. According to the affidavit in support of the complaint, Dawka began communicating on her about July 29th, 2022, via encrypted email. And he told the, the informant, the, or the FBI agent, posing as a foreign, uh, foreign person, that um, he had highly sensitive information relating to foreign targeting of U.S. systems and information on U.S. cyber operations, among other topics. To prove he had access to sensitive information, he transfer, transmitted excerpts of three classified documents to the undercover FBI agent. Each excerpt contained classification markings, one marked secret level and two marked top secret. In return for this information, the FBI undercover agent provided the requested cryptocurrency to an address that DACA had provided. On or about August 26th, he requested $85,000 in return for additional information in his possession. DACA also told the FBI undercover agent that he would share additional information in the future once he returned to the Washington, D.C. area, although he was not employed by the NSA while communicating with the FBI, DACA reapplied to the NSA in August 2022. So the difference to me here is that this guy was reaching out to someone he believed to be a foreigner, offering to sell them classified information that he had obtained. And the status of this case, I was looking at... um. What's going on with it? Criminal complaint came out in February 27th. And then on February 13th, they had a status conference. The next uh, the next appointment's going to be... When's the next one? When's the next meeting? 531. Next status conference is set for uh, May 31st in this case. I was looking to see if Adam Small was still on it, and it looks like he is. The, this filing right here... Where is it? I think it's this. It might not be. No, that's the order. I clicked on the wrong thing. This one, October 10th. As of October 10th, Adam Small's name was still appearing. There he is right there. Adam Small was still appearing on filings in this case. So unlike the the reason I'm bringing this up is because unlike the uh, the DoD leaker case, this guy was trying to find foreigners to sell this information to, whereas the DoD leaker was posting it in a private chat group for others to see, and he wasn't soliciting, as far as we know, he wasn't soliciting payment or selling these items to some other government, and that's I think that's an important distinction between this, but they're both charged under the Espionage Act. This one was charged under, and I just undid let me get this right here he's charged under title 18 section 794a whereas our dod leaker is charged under i think it was section 794 section b and d same same code and same section but a different subletter right there different letter different category of it anyway i wanted to bring that up and uh show you a recent case where someone was was caught doing something similar and was also charged under the Espionage Act. 
let's keep it let's keep it right here on these things before I get into these larger digs. All right. The U.S. Office of Special Counsel. Now, this is not Special Counsel Durham, Special Counsel Her or Smith. This is not an AG appointed special counsel. This is the Office of Special Counsel. And we've run into this distinction before on this show a long time ago. We covered this, that there's an OSC, the United States Office of Special Counsel. And what it is, is a bunch of attorneys that uh, investigate and uh, make recommendations to a board or to the president um, when there are violations by people in office. And they specifically, they do a lot of stuff having to do with the Hatch Act. They have it listed right here on their website. That's one of the primary things that they um, investigate. And that's where Bachera fell foul. The U.S. Office of Special Counsel found that the Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Bachera violated federal law. Special Counsel Henry Kerner sent a letter to President Joe Biden in which he said that Bachera violated the Hatch Act by publicly expressing support for California Democrat Senator Alex Padilla's reelection while appearing in an official capacity as HHS Secretary. As explained in the accompanying report, OSC, the Office of Special Counsel, concluded that Secretary Becerra violated the Hatch Act by expressing support for Senator Alex Padilla's re-election while speaking in his official capacity at the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute Annual Awards Gala on September 15th, 2022. Um, he was introduced as the current secretary and was received an award at this dinner. So it, it was he was in his official capacity. It's not... There's no gray area here. He was actually serving in that capacity and was recognized as such and was given an award as such and was addressed as such. And then he got up there and made a political endorsement. And I didn't include these links on um, my Twitter post. I should have grabbed my true social post on it because I have them there. There were there we go. There were questions about what happens with this and the comments over true social. People were saying, well, can anything happen? Um, Will anything happen to this guy or will he uh, um, there's no punishment. The article doesn't say anything about what the punishment is. So I went and looked it up. The Hatch Act right here, when it comes to uh, this is from OSC's website, when it comes to people who are members of the president's cabinet, like HHS secretary is. It says violations by high level officials that go unaddressed, particularly undermine the viability of the Hatch Act and its purpose of ensuring a federal civil service fee of partisan free of partisan political influence. Accordingly, consistent with the OSC statutory mission, OSC presents this report of prohibited political activity together with Secretary Becher's response to the president for appropriate action pursuant to the authority prescribed in 5 U.S.C. 1215B. So in other incidences where there's a um, someone employee of the federal government who has violated the Hatch Act, they refer it to a board who reviews their conduct and makes it's like a called the something merit board. They refer it to this board and this board makes a decision about what is to be done with that person. But when it comes to someone who's a federal cabinet member or the president's cabinet member, 
uh, they make the referral to the president himself, to Joe Biden. And then Joe Biden makes a decision. Basically, Joe Biden has to fire, has to decide whether or not he's going to fire or suspend or whatever this, the cabinet member. The law being referenced there is this right here. In case of an employee in a confidential policy-making, policy-determining, or policy-advocating position appointed by the president, like HHS secretary is, by and with the advice and consent of the Senate, yep, the complaint and statement referred to in subsection A1, together with any response of the employee, shall be presented to the president for appropriate action. And that's what just happened. That's what this article is really about, is that Office of Special Counsel completed their investigation. They found that, yeah, Secretary Becerra violated the Hatch Act. They submitted a report to Joe Biden. They also submitted Alex Becerra's or um, Xavier Becerra's response to it. In his response, he basically says the usual thing, like, I'm sorry, I regret doing this. It was a mistake on my part that, you know, that, you know, typical stuff. Um, they submit both those things to Joe Biden, and then Joe Biden has to make a decision about what he's going to do. I will say, I have some hope that Joe Biden is actually going to fire Bachera or ask him to resign. It's probably something dignified like that. You know, he's going to ask him to resign, and he's going to give a speech about how he needs to go spend more time with his family. But one one thing that gives me a bit of hope that that will happen is that in his report, the Office of Special Counsel made it a point that it's important to enforce this now ahead of the election system, in the next next election season. Where is it at? Yeah, Kerner wrote with a quote, with a presidential election approaching next year, this report offers an opportunity to deter violations by reminding federal employees at all levels of the Hatch Act's restrictions. So that little line right there is an extra nudge to Biden from the Office of Special Counsel to say, hey, go ahead and uh, act on this in a way that deters future violations. We'll see if it happens. My hopes aren't super high, but I do have some hope that he's going to he's he's going to be let go. OK, let me hit this real quick. There is an old story you guys may remember. About Secret Service deleting some text around January 6th. This story is a bit old. It's from 13 days ago, from April 6th. But I think this is important. A nearly, well, I'll just read it from here. A nearly two-year investigation into allegations of misconduct by the Department of Homeland Security's chief watchdog expanded this week to include his role in missing Secret Service text messages from January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. On Monday, investigators demanded records related to deleted text from the Office of Inspector General Joseph V. Kufari, an appointee of President Donald Trump, whose office shut down an inquiry into the Secret Service text messages last year amid the House's probe of the insurrection. The records request, which was revealed in a federal lawsuit this week filed by Kufari, 
and his staff against the panel of inspectors leading the probe suggest new urgency in a high-profile investigation that began in May 2021. And has since evolved, has since evolved into a wide-ranging inquiry into dozens of allegations of misconduct, including partisan decision-making, investigative failures, and retaliation against whistleblowers. Democratic lawmakers had previously sought text messages from Kufari about when he learned, or sought answers from Kufari about when he learned of the missing text, information that should, could shed a light on what happened on January 6th and during the days leading up to the attack, and why he did not more aggressively try to recover them. Kufari has denied any improper conduct and argued that his efforts to improve what he describes as a dysfunctional office he inherited have been met with resistance from employees. The probe has paralyzed the Inspector General's office. That would be the DHS Inspector General. It's alienated Kufari from the watchdog community and led to calls for President Biden to fire him. The president has signaled that he intends to stay out of the process until the panel from the Council of Inspectors General on Integrity and Efficiency completes its work. You guys may remember the CIGIE. We talked about them a while back when Robert Storch got moved to DOD IG. Before then, Robert Storch had been serving here on the CIGIE. Now he's DOD Inspector General, and he's also speaking this morning here in about five minutes on uh, Capitol Hill, I believe, about the Afghanistan withdrawal. Susan Rouge Hudson. Actually, let me read this other line right here. When a federal watchdog is accused of misconduct and the organization decides that it warrants attention, another inspector general is assigned to investigate under a system set up by Congress. Okay, that could make sense. Susan Rudge Hudson, special counselor to CIGIE, said in an email that the organization, quote, is reviewing the complaint and we look forward to working with the Department of Justice on this matter. Boom. Okay. I don't know exactly who's guilty here. I don't know exactly who did what wrong. I don't know. Sometimes I read reports about this investigation and I think, Secret Service messed up and are hiding some things. Other times I read it and I think people above Secret Service messed up and are trying to hide some things. Um, I'm pretty wide open. I'm I'm not sure exactly where where who did what wrong. I just know there's some missing text messages, and Kufari is being blamed for some of it. If we're for thwarting an investigation, there's some allegations of whistleblowers being retaliated against. And right here in this comment from special counselor to CIGIE, her saying, we're reviewing the complaint and we look forward to working with DOJ on this matter. I think there's going to be some charges here. I think there's going to be some charges here. I just don't know who against who. Kafari, his chief of staff, Kristen Fredericks, and his general counsel, James Reed, as well as former government official Joseph Gangloff, the four who filed the federal lawsuit, declined to comment through a spokesman for the New Civil Liberties Alliance, a group representing them that is funded by conservative legal scholars that is devoted to finding the unconstitutional administrative state within our U.S. government. Who is behind this group? 
Let me see, who is behind this group? Okay. Who is on the board? Janice Rogers Brown. I recognize that name. Randy Barnett, Peter Berkowitz. Hoover Institution. Okay, that's good. Okay. Looking for any names that might really stand out to us of just curious just curious if there's anybody here that was familiar and stood out to me that's associate professor from hillsdale okay the lawsuit an unusual broadside against the federal watchdog community by one of its own accuses the panel of exceeding its authority and of illegal interference in the operation of one of government's largest oversight offices. It has set off hand-wringing and anger in the inspector general community. CIGIE leaders met by Zoom on Wednesday to discuss how to proceed and notify the Justice Department, which will represent them. He's challenged the structure of a body statutorily created by Congress, said one inspector general. We're appalled and exhausted by him. So they're, they are really, they are really uh, upset with this guy <laughs> um, because he's going against the watchdog community. Now, maybe he's right, but also maybe he's, it's, it's, I, there's something, there's something here. There's something here with these deleted text messages and, um, well, nothing is ever truly deleted. If we see them, we may find out at the same time why they were deleted. Okay, I saw a rant that I missed. S. Grouper, thank you very much. I will keep up the work. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. DA investigation in Georgia. In a court filing Tuesday, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis noted that her office conducted those interviews. Oh, well, let me tell you what interviews I'm talking about. She interviewed at least two false GOP electors last week and said they may be implicated, they may have implicated another false elector in a crime. So you guys may remember, I've talked about it before on this show, and every time I bring it up, I usually have some people who are like, what are you talking about? Um, the false electors, fake electors, um, alternative electors is the preferred term on the right uh, by some. But what they're referring to is a scheme that was created by some Republicans to have alternate slates of electors and 
submit those as the real electors for a state, even though that state's House and Secretary of State and Governor hadn't approved them as electors. Um, you guys may remember that, what was his name? Not Clark, Eastman. John Eastman was talking about this idea on Bannon's show a whole lot in like December, January, about how we could have we could get some electors and they could uh, they could make out a different ballot for Trump and we could have competing slates of electors was the idea and that they would try to submit them to um, in the count on January 6th. And they tried to get Pence to take these slates of electors and Pence wouldn't take them. And everybody got all mad at Pence, but they weren't legal. They hadn't been certified by in the right way by their respective states. The people who agreed to be those false electors or alternate electors, if you prefer, had some involvement, at least in Georgia, in how the election was conducted and what happened after the election in November of 2020. And these electors have been getting interviewed by the DA in Georgia. So that's what they're referring to. And as recently as last week, she interviewed two of them, and during her, their interview, they described actions of another elector that may have been a crime. Willis disclosed in the filing that more than one of the false electors had described a potential violation of Georgia state law by another one. Willis is urging the judge overseeing the matter to disqualify the lawyer who represents 10 of the false electors, an arrangement she had previously challenged with limited success because of the potential for conflict among different false electors. Now that some have provided testimony implicating others in potential crimes, Willis's office argued it is no longer tenable for them to share the same attorney, Kimberly Debro. Now, I scanned through this filing, and I know that we're supposed to think that the DA in Georgia is out to get Trump and Rudy and Meadows and others. And maybe she is, I don't know that she is, but this filing at least leads me to believe that she's not actually after Trump. She's after some people, some swampy Republicans who violated the law in Georgia in pursuit of trying to deliver Georgia for for Trump or, and or, trying to manipulate the election to the benefit of other swampy Republicans in Georgia. And this segment from it leads me to believe that there are some swampy Republicans out there who are getting nervous right now. From her filing, she writes, the issue of representation of the current status quo of Ms. Debro, who represents 10 of the electors, has reached a, quote, impracticable and ethical mess, as events in the past week have shown. On April 12, 2023 and April 14, 2023, members of Fulton County District Attorney's Office interviewed certain of the electors represented by Ms. Debro with Ms. Debro in attendance. During these interviews, some of the electors stated that another elector represented by Ms. Debro committed acts that are violations of Georgia law and that they were not party to these additional acts. Additionally, in these interviews, some of the electors represented by Ms. Debro 
told members of the investigation team that no potential offer of immunity was ever brought to them in 2022, which is in direct conflict with Ms. Debro's co-counsel, Ms. Pearson's representation to this court in August of 2022. If this is true, this is a major violation. There was an offer of immunity from the DA to these electors if they would answer all these questions and from the from the uh, DA and com- completely cooperate, basically flip. If it's true that Miss Debro never informed those electors of that offer of immunity, then she's committed a violation of she's committed a violation that could get her disbarred. Um, it's a major violation, but that's if it's true. What could also be happening here is that these electors who were interviewed are have gone from person of interest to being um, a target of the investigation because they did commit something wrong. And instead of dealing with it, they're trying to say they never knew about the immunity agreement because now they want it. They didn't want it last year, but they realized they're going to get caught. So now they want that immunity agreement so they can point so they can point the fingers at other electors. Right. I can I can see this both ways. It could be Miss Debro messed up, but it could also be these electors have become really nervous and they're they're ready to uh, they're wishing they had taken that immunity agreement. So now they're trying to say they were never offered it. We'll see. That's what's that's what's going on here in this DA case. And, um, you know, Trump never instructed anything about the alternate electors. I think it was a scheme. My, my personal opinion is that um, the alternate slates of electors idea, that there were at least some people who were pushing it and involved in it, who were trying to frame Trump and Pence with it. They weren't actually trying to win the election for Trump. They were trying to get Trump to buy into it in order to implicate Trump in that scheme and get him charged with trying to subvert the election. Good morning, Music and Fiction. He says he's a little confused. Is this elector's case separate from Trump's case? If this is, and you're right that this is going after Swampy GOPers. No, this is not this is not sep well. I don't think it's separate. Hold on. I think it's the same thing. It's Fannie Willis DA and let me make sure. I'm pretty sure this is the same one that had that grand jury that ended. And then they went out and started meeting with the press, which which was a bad idea for them. Good idea for Trump. Yeah, it says the Atlanta area prosecutor investigating efforts by Trump and his allies to overturn 2020 election indicated Tuesday that she has conducted fresh interviews. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same investigation. I, I think it's always been about trying to get swampy GOP in Georgia. I think this I think it's always been about that. It's just that the media 
wants it to be about getting Trump. So that's how they report on it. They, they characterize it and frame it as being targeted at Trump, even though Trump never had anything to do with the false electors scheme. Okay, let's talk about Dominion. All right, I have it. Um, well, here, let me answer that. Good morning, Samuel Squirrel. He asked, uh, he says he thinks the Arizona election case will be the one that goes to SCOTUS. What do you think? I'm not sure, man. Um, I do, I do think the election case that Carrie Lake has is like one of the best ones. And um, I, I think it's the best one we've seen. And I also think that uh, she's she's had some success with it. I'm not sure it makes it all the way to SCOTUS, but um, it would be interesting if it did. I I think it's a I think it's a good case, and I think it's important, and I think it'll I think they're going to find uh, some violations and some errors, and maybe some uh, maybe some criminality. Uh, because of because of her case, how far it goes, I don't know. I don't think it ends up undoing the 2022 Arizona election, but I wouldn't be surprised if it causes changes. Or my hope, for, I shouldn't say I wouldn't be surprised. My hope for it is that it causes changes to be made in Arizona, which prevent the kind of cheating we saw and the type of errors and the to be broad about it the junk that went on in arizona in 2020 and 2022 my hope is that carrie lake's lawsuit results in less of that junk happening in in 2024 i don't think it ends up putting her back in office this year i think it i think it ends up hopefully resolving some of the things that kept her from winning this this past season and allows her to win coming up in 2024 that's my hope anyway. Arturell, thank you very much. That's very generous. They say your show on the new 9-11 revelations was awesome, but so many names that I can't pronounce and so many theories. Can you do a separate video for us like 9-11 for dummies? Well, um, I may be working on something that is very similar to that right now. I'll say that I'm working on something 9-11 related uh, based off of that new report. So um, I have I have some more 9-11 stuff that I'm going to put out. So I, I think the answer I think I really I, it's kind of my answer is kind of yes. I'm I'm already working on something kind of like that. Um, but it's not 9-11 for dummies, but it is about a about the stuff that that uh, recent court filing speaks to. So I'll get into not, I'll, I'll see how far I take it. Um, not 11's touchy. So, and a lot of people are really committed to their ideas about what they think happened on 9-11 and what the true story of 9-11 is. 
and um, are really stuck in the, they're really stuck in it, their own ideas about it. And I think we need to be ready to uh, change our minds about some things, in my opinion. All right. Dominion lawsuit against Fox News. And thanks again, Arturel. Um, I think I covered it when it happened, but I may have just posted about it on, on socials that the judge had ruled in Dominion versus Fox News lawsuit that Rupert Murdoch, Paul Ryan, and others from the board could be required to testify in the case at trial and that um, so would Fox News TV hosts like um, like Laura and Tucker and Sean and all these others, they would be required to be put on this or they could be put on the stand. And so um, it was looking like we were going to get a really entertaining trial uh, with Fox News versus or Dominion versus Fox News uh, suing for one point six billion in debt for defamation. Uh, it was looking like it was going to be a firestorm of a trial. And I was really excited for it. Um, I was mostly excited to watch them try and defend their theories that they put forth or other people's theories about dominion and their role in the 2020 election and defending those theories in court. Um, I was really looking forward to that. And I was looking forward to Ryan and Murdoch possibly being on the stand and having to answer answer for decisions they make in running Fox. But day before the jury selection was to begin, or right as jury selection was beginning, Rupert Murdoch made a filing, said he was interested in settlement. Rupert Murdoch entered a 11th hour settlement talk in a last ditch, ditch effort to avoid taking the stand in a $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit. The billionaire media mogul was expected to be one of the first witnesses called to testify in the high profile legal battle with Dominion voting systems, which centers around false claims about vote rigging in the 2020 election. The trial was scheduled to be lit, begin on Monday and Trump put out these interesting truths he first wrote, if Fox would finally admit that there was a large-scale cheating and irregularities in the 2020 presidential election, which would be a good thing for them and for America, the case against them, which should not have existed at all, would be greatly weakened. Back up those patriots at Fox instead of throwing them under the bus. And they are right. There is so much proof, like mass ballot stuffing caught on government cameras, FBI colluding with Twitter and Facebook, state legislatures not used, Etc. Fox News is in big trouble if they do not expose the truth on cheating in the 2020 election. They should do what's right for America. When Rupert Murdoch says that there was no cheating in light of the massive proof that there is, it is ridiculous and very shameful or very harmful to the Fox case. Perhaps he should say that, quote, he just didn't know, but that is hard to believe. Rupert, just tell the truth and good things will happen. The election of 2020 was rigged and stolen. You know it, and so does everyone else. Trump wanted them to fight it, and to fight it by saying, look, this is the information we got, and we brought it to our viewers. We don't know if it's true. 
We think it deserves attention and it deserves to be covered by media, and that's what we did as a media organization. But they chickened out. And Fox News and Dominion Voting Systems agreed to settle their legal battle. They agreed to settle it for $787.5 million. So less than half of what Dominion wanted. And I think that speaks to both parties' uh, disposition here. Fox News didn't want this fight. And they didn't want to go to trial. Dominion didn't want to go to trial because they didn't want all of this stuff brought up. They didn't want they didn't want all of these allegations brought up and rehashed in court. They didn't want Fox to fight it and prove or even like prove that it was worth reporting on this stuff. So they had this little pre they had this battle right up until right before trial started trying to wear each other down and at the very last minute agreed to less than half. So $800 million, just under $800 million. Disappointing. It's just, it's disappointing. I, I wanted them to do it. I wanted them to battle it out, but it's not that surprising that they didn't. It's actually, it's what's best for both companies, right? What's best for both companies is that they, that they don't take it to court. And that sucks, but that's that's the truth. That's what's in uh, both companies' interest. Okay, next I want to cover EDNY news. But before I do that, I need more coffee. So we are going to take a short break. I'm going to take a short intermission so that I can refill my coffee cup because I need it so I can stay awake, one, and two, so I can keep soothing my throat with the delicious Benson honey that is in my coffee. So let me get this. It's been so long since I've done an intermission. Do I still have this working? Yes. All right, intermission. See you soon.
All right, I'm back. Nice little intermission there. What's going on over here in chat? Thank you very much, RL Skeeter and Beer BL or Bear BL. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll have a great time in Phoenix for sure. And uh, I'm not looking forward to the high 80s, but maybe it'll be lower humidity than what it is in Virginia, and I'll enjoy that. I prefer a dry heat to the the thick heat here in thick wet heat here in Virginia. Uh, and thank you, Bear BL. I'm looking forward to it. I'll do some. Uh, I guess it'll be next Friday. Should should be my 200th episode. Um. Look, maybe we'll have a. I mean, if I could choose, I could choose. We'd have a Durham indictment or a report to to go over. We'll see. I'll be praying for it. Yes, less tree stuff. Run bike swim girl is packing right now. Man, I need to pack. I I I'm gonna be doing that after this show is over. I'll pick up my toddler and then I'll be packing. Hand them off to grandparents. All right. Big news story that uh, start. I mean, this started. This news story started developing right after I ended my show on Monday. You guys may remember more than four months ago. This is from where is the date? Seventeenth November, twenty twenty-two. FBI director says he's very concerned by reports of secret Chinese police stations in the U.S. Quote, I'm very concerned about this. We are aware of the existence of these stations. Ray told a Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee hearing, acknowledging the FBI's investigative work on the issue, but declining to give details. Quote, but to me, it is outrageous to think that the Chinese police would attempt to set up a shop, you know, in New York, let's say, without proper coordination. It violates sovereignty and circumvents ju standard judicial and law enforcement cooperation processes. Ray, asked by Republican Senator Rick Scott, who is preparing a presidential run, by the way. I don't know if you guys know that. I'm pretty sure it's Rick Scott. He's uh, he's made appropriate filings and has been making some appearances and things like that. You watch for him to run. He was asked by Rick Scott if such stations violated U.S. law, and the um, Ray said the FBI was looking into legal parameters. Safeguard Defenders, a Europe-based human rights organization, published a report in September revealing the presence of dozens of Chinese police service stations in major cities around the world. The report said the stations were an extension of Beijing's efforts to pressure some Chinese nationals or their relatives abroad to return to China to face criminal charges. It is also linked to the activities of China's United Front Work Department, a communist party body charged with spreading its influence and propaganda overseas. Oh, y'all are correct. Music and fiction correcting me, and so is just Kevin. It's not Rick Scott. It's Tim Scott is the one who's preparing to run. Thank you. Thank you. I got the wrong Scott. Tim Scott of South Carolina. That's right. That's right. Ray said... 
Ray said the United States has made a number of indictments involving the Chinese government harassing, stalking, surveilling, and blackmailing people in the United States who disagree with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Quote, it's a real problem and something that we're talking about with our foreign partners as well, because we're not the only country where this has occurred. Now, the clickbait media, the clickbait media was like, this is terrible. The FBI won't do anything. They know these things exist and the FBI won't do anything because Beijing Biden's in control and Garland's a swamp creature and nothing good ever happens. Doom, doom, doom. Well, right after my show ended on Monday, the Eastern District of New York, the EDNY, announced that there would be a news conference at 1 p.m. And John Harold messaged me and was like, dude, can you get on Badlands to, to cover this? And I couldn't because I was picking up my kid and on dad duty. Um, but man, I wish I had been on. Man, I wish I could have been on because this was super exciting. In my opinion, it didn't seem to be super exciting to CanCon and Chris. <laughs> um, but uh, it was super exciting to me because this is the latest in a series of indictments to come out of EDNY against Chinese operators in the U.S. First thing that came out was two arrested for operating a legal overseas police station of the Chinese government. This is in New York. They also destroyed evidence. Next, 40 officers of China's national police charged in transnational repression schemes targeting U.S. residents. And I went and looked on the, when you go to uh, EDNY's page, they list it a little differently. They have two individuals here, 34 charged with repression scheme here, and then a third one that is eight Chinese government officials charged with directing an employee of the U.S. telecom company to remove Chinese dissidents from the company's platform. So that is 36 plus eight, that is 44. 44 Chinese agents, officials, actors, whatever, charged by the EDNY this week on Monday on April 17th. And of course that flies in the faith, the face of what the clickbait media and the rage bait media, especially on the right, are constantly trying to convince you of. That nothing is happening and we're all doomed and the DOJ is completely compromised. And uh, yeah, but if you've been watching my show, we've been paying special attention to the EDNY. Because John Durham's son, one of them, John J. Durham, is an attorney at the EDNY. And he runs Task Force Vulcan, which is focused on MS-13. And so we've been paying attention to the EDNY, and during that time, I've covered a number of cases that EDNY has brought. Over the past year or so, the EDNY has really been putting in the work to combat CCP, espionage, policing, and other criminal activity. For example, on October 20th, 2022, six individuals were charged with conspiring to act as illegal agents of the People's Republic of China. Again, out of the EDNY, we covered that on this show. 
From October 24th, four days later, two Chinese intelligence officers were charged with obstruction of justice and a scheme to bribe U.S. government employees and steal documents related to federal prosecution of a PRC-based company. We covered this one also in this show. This was also a news conference, and just like the news conference that happened on Monday, Con Inc. and Clickbait Media on the right covered it with an attitude that was derogatory and not serious. There was a press conference and most of MAGA media and Conic media just decided we're just going to make fun of Garland because we don't like the way he talks. And we're just going to write clickbait articles about how Biden is a compromised by, by, by Beijing, even though we're literally looking at an indictment of two Chinese intelligence officers. And this indictment of these intelligence officers that were working, what were they trying to do? They were trying to infiltrate the, infiltrate the prosecution of Huawei. They wanted to get, they tried to steal the prosecution's entire game plan in the case against Huawei. And they got caught. Also from October 24th, same day, two arrested and 13 charged in three separate cases for alleged participation in malign schemes in the United States and on behalf of the PRC right here. This included three Ministry of State Security intelligence officers. And those are from October of last year. And conservative and clickbait media made sure to tell you that it was a nothing burger and didn't matter. Instead of treating these seriously, they treated it. Well, I'm trying to be real. I'm trying to be as nice as possible because I, I want to. Uh, I kind of want to rant right now because this really gets on my nerves. Um. They treated it like children. I'll just leave it there. They were foolish in their reporting. And then from today, which would be this past Monday, 44 Chinese officials, officers, agents, associates indicted. And this, this is the main point I want to make. The fake news media, particularly on the right, barely gives mention to this work, but it continues regardless. Perception, perception is reality. And fake news media on the right is obsessed with making sure you have a black-pilled doom perception of the world. Even when some 40 plus CCP agents are indicted. Enough about them. Let's look at what is in this indictment. Dawson did a really good thread on this and I'm going to present it. The indictment of 40 plus Chinese MPS officers is now online. It's very interesting how closely the trolling tactics mirror the techniques we run into with various groups of trolls. 
both the Tuesday Trolls of this era and the Cletuses of a few years ago. Do you guys remember, Dawson did a really good thread on this a long time ago. It, well, it wasn't really a thread. It was an argument he got in and I talked about on this show. Do you guys remember with Rush Limbaugh, the um, seminar callers? Do you remember them? I covered this on this show before months ago when Daw I found this argument Dawson had been in with a troll. Um, there was... There used to be these seminar callers and they were groups of uh, lefties and sometimes they weren't even lefty. They were just cheap labor uh, who would work in a call center and they would call conservative radio stations and they would try to get on air in order to argue with the host or make some leftist talking point. So they would call into the conservative radio show, particularly Rush Limbaugh, uh, but also Sean Hannity and a number of others. And they would tell the producer or whoever it was that answered the phone and was fielding calls that um, they they had wanted to make some point or tell some story that would fit into what the discussions were on that show. They would portray themselves as a conservative um, and they would they would lie to get on the show. And then once they were on air, they would make sure and make some leftist talking point or they would insult the host or try and start an argument or get the host to mess up. There's a famous one with Rush Limbaugh where they're trying to, they're trying to get Rush Limbaugh to say something racist and Rush isn't really understanding what they're saying, but he's, he's following along that there's some trick here. And so he's trying to politely get out of it. He's realizing that it's a seminar caller who got through. And so he's just trying to end the phone call and go to break and get rid of them. So those people were trolls. And now today what we have is something very similar that we deal with on all the social media platforms that we're on, whether it's rumble and chat on chat. I've seen the same tactics in chat in rumble. Uh, we see it on true social for sure. A lot on true social. Um, and we also see it on Twitter and telegram um, where I personally encounter it. The most is true social, because I think that, Tons of bots and male actors have gone to True Social to try and stir up trouble and distract and, and whatnot. The CCP does the same thing. Um, they have the equivalent of seminar callers who are trolls and troll farms and bots who will purposely try and get into arguments or try and distract or take away. Their whole goal is to present themselves as if they're on your side, and then they have specific talking points they want to get to. And that's part of what these Chinese MPS officers and their associates were doing. This right here is a meme they shared internally. I'm sure we can find some way to use it on the CCP agents pretending to be MAGA or ultra MAGA or dark MAGA or whatever the CCP wants to rebrand as. I've never liked dark MAGA, dark MAGA. I've always thought the dark MAGA thing was a, uh, was a trick. Those accounts trying to tell people that president Xi is secretly on Trump's side and that MAGA should like him. Those are the type of talking points that these accounts put forth. From the indictment, 
Often in conjunction with their efforts to perpetrate the online harassment campaign, the defendants and other group members are U.S.-based social media accounts to disseminate or use US media, U.S.-based social media accounts to disseminate propaganda and narratives that mirror and amplify the PRC government's and the CCP's approved public messaging. This content, often featuring claims that appear to sow discord and distort facts about issues and persons in the United States and elsewhere, is meant to appear as if generated organically by users unaffiliated with the PRC government and the CCP, many of whom are purportedly located in the United States. The social media accounts controlled by the group often purport to belong to authentic individual users. And unlike the official social media accounts of PRC government agencies and officials, conceal from social media services and U.S. users that their content is posted on behalf of the PRC. As described herein, some of these social media accounts are created to give the appearance that they are controlled by U.S.-based accounts and are created to give the appearance that they are controlled by U.S.-based users and in certain instances communicate directly with U.S. users about subjects of interest to the PRC government and the CCP. This practice gives users of the social media platform the false impression that multiple U.S. persons affiliated with PRC government agree with narratives generated by the PRC government about a variety of topics and disagree with the publicly held views of PRC dissidents on issues such as the COVID-19 pandemic, the advantages of democracy over autocracy, U.S. domestic and foreign policy, human rights issues in Hong Kong and Xinjiang province, Taiwan, and Russian invasion of Ukraine. By hiding the PRC government affiliation of the group's accounts from the users, social media accounts, and the U.S. government, group members seek to influence and manipulate online discourse, including discourse in the United States, toward positions favored by the PRC government and the CCP. I want to say that I would like to believe that President Xi and Trump are working together. But I don't see evidence of it. I do see evidence of President Xi draining the swamp in his own country. And I see evidence of Trump and Biden draining the swamp here in America. I don't know that they're working together. I'm open to it, but I don't know that they're they're open to working together. Um I think they're I think she is probably doing what is in his best interest. And sometimes those things align with what is in what Trump's views as America's best interest. Um But these accounts, these accounts will use claims like that and other claims, and they will represent themselves to be Americans that are U.S.-based or Chinese who are Chinese-based but agree with MAGA viewpoints. And the only thing they're trying to do is just to get you to trust them and um, and uh, take their word for it, and they're just trying to steer the conversation in the direction they want to go. Dawson says, I can't wait for discovery and pretrial motions for the ones located in the U.S. who were arrested. Additionally, group members and others affiliated with the group have attempted to recruit U.S. persons to act as unwitting agents of the PRC by disseminating PRC propaganda or narratives. 
As a further indication of the coordinated nature of the group's work and furtherance of CCP interest, group members coordinate with officials in the United Front Work Group of the Central Committee uh, of the CCP, the UFWD. In June 20th, 2020, chat between Shi Yui and Tan Jin and Shi Yui lamented having to work recently with so many people from the UFWD. Based on the timing of this communication, I assess this coordination likely included topics related to COVID-19 pandemic, the U.S. government's response to developments in Hong Kong, civil unrest in the United States following the death of George Floyd and the 2020 presidential election. Internal records and communications of the group reflect that it has developed and uses various practices and procedures for targeting individuals, including those residing in the United States, and for propagating PRC official statements through misattributed accounts. How does it work? Well, by trolling people to intimidate them into self-censoring and avoiding issues that draw trolls. I got to say, that hit, that hits home for me. Because I do find myself making decisions, or at least considering, when I'm trying to decide what I want to put on the show, or what I want to put out online, what I want to discuss or research, I do find myself considering the troll factor and how many trolls do I want to attract and deal with in covering that topic. And there are certain topics I know are going to bring a lot more trolls than others. And I find myself considering that and deciding not to go as far as I want to, or to even not touch that subjects that I don't, that even if I want to, get onto them and like have a discussion about them or present something on them. I, I find myself being hesitant or just deciding not to put forth that, that information or those comments um, because I don't want to deal with the trolls. So it causes me to self-censor. That's the truth. And we're going to get into one of those conversations that I self-censor on here later in this thread. Um, it doesn't cause me to be dishonest where I misrepresent my opinion of something, but it does cause me to not go as far as I want to into a subject. And it amounts to self-censoring. Um, and that's, that's the whole purpose. And it causes other people to self-censor because they don't want to attract trolls. It's a power. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a deterrent. It really is. Um, so what Dawson says, which is why I engage the trolls to identify their talking points to see what they are trying to accomplish. This is from one of the footnotes. It says, according to an August 2018 report published by the U S China economic and security review commission, the UFWD coordinates the United Front strategy to co-opt and neutralize sources of potential opposition to policies and authority of the CCP. The, the report further states that UFWD accomplishes this using a range of methods, including influencing overseas Chinese communities, foreign governments, and other actors to take actions or adopt positions supportive of Beijing's preferred policies. United Front works to promote Beijing's preferred global narrative 
pressure individuals living in free and open societies to self-censor and avoid discussing issues unfavorable to CCP and harass and undermine groups critical of Beijing's policies. Now, Dawson said it's also why I troll accounts, um, I test troll accounts by including information and screenshots of documents. Their translation software can't read them and they respond to the text only, missing the obvious. It's a pretty good technique to deal with the troll. He says that from the indictment, new group members also receive policy guides and instructional documents, including operational best practices and metrics for evaluating performance. One policy guide contains step-by-step -step instructions for establishing and man maintaining multiple social media accounts on a social platform. This instructions contain techniques and tactics for the re registration of multiple accounts using temporary email addresses. After the accounts are registered, group members are directed to change the profile icons and download translation tools to their browsers, find articles from approved websites, translate the content, post the translated content to the social media account, conduct daily checks for replies to post, and interact with users replying to their posts to avoid the appearance of flooding the site. I guarantee you that all of you, all of us, have encountered CCP trolls that are trying to steer conversation or intimidate or seed propaganda. Um, there's a few on true social who activate like once per day and they'll hit post. I made that day with something inflammatory and like I'll, I'll, I'll get a series of notifications from them. And what they've done is they've gone to my true social page They've gone to each post I've made that day and, or sometimes they'll go back a few days and they'll leave some inflammatory comment, some rage comment. Um, like nothing will ever happen to these people. They always get away with it. Something like that. Um, or nothing's ever going to change unless we stand up like stuff like that. And, uh, You'll see it. You, you guys have probably experienced this too. And if you engage with them, you, if you engage with them enough, you'll be able to pick out that they're not sincere and it makes it, it makes it difficult to know when to engage. Like as someone who gets a lot of common comments on my post, it makes it difficult for me to know which people to engage with and have a discussion because I don't know if I'm actually engaging with a person or a bot or an actual MAGA person who is just like depressed. And maybe I could offer some commentary that lifts them up. Or if they're a fake MAGA person who just wants to distract me and cause an argument. Back to Dawson's thread. Then they each use multiple accounts to create the illusion that other people agree with their talking points. I'm used to the three to four accounts jumping in one after another to respond, saying they know what the first one tried to say too, pretending everyone knows their disinfo. This is a common tactic I'm sure you guys have seen, but you don't, you may not realize you've seen it. Where you get a random commenter who argues with you or makes a point, and then they get one or two other accounts come suddenly up and back them or agree, and they try and create a, a it's a um, influence 
scheme where suddenly you feel like the odd man out because you don't agree with their disinfo or you don't agree with the point they've made or you have a different point of view and they make you feel like you're the odd one out, but really it's the same person with three different accounts. And this goes back to um, a discussion I've brought up many times before about how, how people, just humans, how we decide what we believe and what, how we take in information. If you're someone who's locked into peripheral, peripheral information gathering and you casually gather information, this is one of the benefits of being a, um, a nerd like all of us are <laughs> who are watching this show. One of the benefits of being a nerd is that you actually you engage your intentionality when it comes to gathering information and you decide you're going to inform yourself, which makes you less susceptible to peer pressure. But for people who are casually gathering news, they're engaging more of their peripheral information gathering skills. And so when they go to a news article, like say one about Trump and a lawsuit or potential charges, and they just click on the, the post that has that and they look in the comments and they see three or four people all saying Trump is corrupt. Trump should never be allowed in office again. It creates the peripheral, peripheral, you know, the environment where they feel like they're odd one out if they don't agree with that. It creates a, a social pressure. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point of it. And it's also why seeking to inform yourself and program yourself is so important. Because if you don't, if you don't take ownership of that, then you're going to end up being influenced by the info war. Dawson comments right here on this, just ordinary Americans on Facebook and Twitter who just happen to know things, things the CCP told them to be convinced of. Group from the indictment, group members create social media accounts that do not reflect purported locations of residents, but display names common among ethnic groups primarily residing in Western countries to suggest that the users are based in the United States or other Western countries. On or about July 20th, 2020, Gao Hongting, created a Twitter account with the display name Christina Jones. Other examples include group Facebook accounts with usernames Lacey Sutton, Sage Huffman, Charlotte Gray, Victoria Rojas, and Twitter accounts I assess based on forensic evidence are affiliated with the group's operational activities with display names including Ben K, Christy Saxton, Kershaw Anderson, Vivian Ching. As illustrations of the group account's public-facing appearance, Image 18 depicts a screenshot of the current profile page of Facebook user Lacey Sutton. And image 19 depicts the profile of Twitter user Ben K and the handle Abby Corp. Group members seek to enhance the bona fides of the purported U.S.-based user accounts by having the accounts join Western religious groups, such as Facebook groups titled Jesus is the Light of the World, Bible Daily, I Love God and Jesus Our Savior, and Honest Quotes. Other accounts have joined Facebook groups dedicated to pop culture and or mundane topics such as movies, fan, or cramps. <laughs> After creating a myriad of social media accounts, including accounts of purported U.S. persons, 
The group uses certain accounts to post content consistent with CCP narratives that is then quickly amplified through other group accounts. The themes of group postings are dictated by tasking based on events of concerns to MPS headquarters and the PRC government, including the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So based on the news of the week, day or the week, they, ta- they get instructions on what talking points they're supposed to present to go along with that news and to steer conversations towards or away from certain things. Posing as U.S. persons and members of the U.S. military as well, they share tweets that put a pro-CCP spin on them. Group members also use certain Twitter accounts with profiles falsely indicating that the user is based in the United States to engage in direct communication with U.S. persons and other foreign nationals. In these instances, the group accounts purport to belong to users from places such as New York, Atlanta, Georgia, Naples, Florida. For example, in communications of U.S. persons from a group-affiliated Twitter account created on or about September 17, 2020, with the username James Mark David 1 and a display name James Mark David, the purported account user claimed in the message that, I work with the U.S. military, I am a soldier, I am planning to come to Thailand when I finish my mission here in Somalia. The account primarily retweets content posted by the U.S. Defense Department and senior officials, including Lloyd Austin. As detailed below, the account has been used to disseminate content suggesting that a U.S.-based user affiliated with the U.S. military is supportive of the PRC government and its policies. Group members also use social media accounts to contact individuals assessed to be sympathetic and supportive of the PRC government's narratives, including individuals based in the United States. Group members ask these assessed sympathizers to use their social media accounts to disseminate group content. For example, in direct messages with U.S. persons, the purported user of the James Mark David Twitter account introduced himself as James Mark David David Mark and claimed to be living in Atlanta or in New York. At one point, when James Mark David Twitter account communicated with an actual user from Georgia, the user of the James Mark David Twitter account claimed to be living in Toronto, but to be originally from Germany. So that's one way you can catch some of these accounts that are like this. If you if you think they're um, there's something questionable, like you notice something about them that isn't quite right, go and check their replies. And like just scan their replies and look for where they've reported to other people and answer questions to other people, like where are they from? Or like compare. And you can see sometimes where they answer incorrect, they answer different people differently. They have different answers from the same account. And it shows they contradict, and that shows it's pro it's, it's either a bot or it's a foreigner who is part of a troll farm or influence farm. And they're bouncing between accounts and they're forgetting what they have said on that account to certain people. So if there's someone who's running like 15 social media accounts to do these operations, they may forget that they've been on one of the accounts, they've been saying they're in Georgia and then they'll contradict themselves and say they're in Toronto because they forget which account they're on. Um, that's one, that's one of the ways you can figure them out. Go look at their replies. Now, getting a little spicy here. From this section right here, a primary focus 
of the group's harassment scheme is a critic of the CCP who fled the PRC and presently resides in New York City. He is victim one. Since at least 2017, group members have sought to harass victim one through, among other means, anonymized social media accounts operated by the group and by pressuring U.S. social media companies to remove victim one and U.S.-based associates of victim one from social media platforms. These efforts are part of the PRC government's broader effort to prevent and disrupt and harass victim one's use of social media and other online platforms to disseminate and discuss disfavored content. As alluded to above with the February 3rd, 2020 message sent by Lee Balloon or Lee Balloon in group message channel, group officers have a standing tasking requirement from MPS headquarters to post content targeting victim one. Additional evidence uncovered during the investigation of the broader 912 project indicates indicates that a standing not not Glenn Beck's 912 project, different one. The standing task requirement to target victim one has existed since on or about December 8, 2018. With officers instructed to continue to familiarize themselves with the background information on the case and related persons and to follow updated overseas content on social media that was both in support of and against victim one. Since victim one fled the PRC, the PRC government has sought his or her return for prosecution in the PRC and has employed numerous methods to effect victim one's capture or arrest. In May 2017, the PRC government sent several undeclared agents from the PRC Ministry of State Security to the United States to cause victim one's coerced repatriation to the PRC as part of the Fox Hunt initiative. However, the U.S. government disrupted the PRC government's efforts to forcefully repatriate victim one, and victim one continues to reside in the United States. Correspondence and photographs uncovered in the investigation depict members working from the group's Dongqing district operational location to monitor and disrupt victim one's online and social media activity. For example, images 29 and 30 redacted to protect victim one's identity depict a group duty compromised of various Chinese names on or about November 20th, 2018, while viewing content pertaining to victim one. Groups monitoring and disruption of victim one social media and online activity occurred daily and included on weekends and holidays, blah, 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 blah. Now, Dawson thinks that the victim one they're talking about here may be Miles Guo. And I can see why he would think that. It may be. It may be Miles Guo. But I and Dawson and others think that Guo is still a Chinese intelligence asset and the attacks help him serve as bait for the real dissidents. He was recently indicted by the feds for financial crimes. And I, I think that I think that miles Guo is still a CCP agent. And, um, this is part of creating an environment where it seems like he is, um, where he's not, but he's also wanted on charges in China. So I could see, I could see, I could see either way. Um, it may not be Guo though. It could be some, someone else who fled, uh, China and, uh, is being harassed. There's a number of people who are targeted by these groups. So there's a number of dissidents who are in America, but 
the the details here do map onto Guo pretty pretty easily, but not specifically enough where I can be certain. Yeah, they're talking about Guo. Now here is where when I said earlier I've done some self censoring. Um, here's where we get into where I've done some self self censoring. These group that was indicted also focused on COVID-19 disinformation. There are three goals. One, shift attention away from Wuhan. Two, criticize U.S. government policies. Three, question the Trump vaccine. From the indictment. Under the, under the section... Harassment of victim 12 and victim 13 on narratives of COVID-19. As part of the harassment scheme, the group has used its social media accounts to disseminate disinformation and PRC government propaganda regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. The propaganda is generally intended to accomplish one of three things. To shift attention away from Wuhan, where the coronavirus is believed to have first infected humans. To criticize U.S. government policy designed to combat COVID-19 or to question the safety of COVID-19 vaccines invented in U.S. and Europe. In connection with this scheme, the group has not only helped spread COVID-19 disinformation authored by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs through social media accounts that appear to belong to authentic users, including users based in the United States, but also has used similar accounts to target and harass two individuals residing in the United States, including a U.S. citizen. They used lockdowns as an opportunity, an opportunity to blame the U.S. for the virus and claim that the FBI was framing China for it. On or about March 19th, 2020, so that was very early on in the pandemic, Assistant Minister Chen, apparently referring to a high-ranking member of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, instructed that it is, quote, a good time to fight back and it is, quote, necessary to expose the United States, United Kingdom, and other countries utter disregard for human life and their extreme hypocrisy in protecting human rights in stark contrast with the PRC's clear institutional advantages. In his message, he continued that it is necessary to mobilize the establishment camp, media, social organizations, legal circles, collective voice, seize commanding heights of public opinion and score points for ourselves and win the public opinion. Among the proposals was a statement in Chinese that, quote, the truth came out alleging that COVID-19 was leaked to linked to U.S. biological weapons research base at Fort, Fort Detrick, Maryland, and that U.S. athletes participating in the Wuhan military games who stayed near the Hunan Seafood Market in Wuhan, PRC, might have introduced COVID-19 into Wuhan to frame the PRC. The proposed post further stated that the FBI must approve the testing of all COVID-19 patients or else testing was illegal. The FBI only approved testing those patients returning from PRC and not those without any contact to the PRC. And the purpose of the FBI controlling the testing is to cover up the U.S. source of COVID-19 and to implement the secret strategy of framing China for the U.S. source. So. 
literally, according to this indictment, the notion that COVID-19 came from Fort Detrick, Maryland, and was spread to China during the military games in Wuhan, is a CCP talking point. It's not just a CCP talking point. It's a direct from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs CCP strategy and piece of propaganda to try and get you to blame the U.S. for COVID-19 instead of CCP and the Wuhan lab. And it's to the benefit of it's to the benefit of everybody involved with it, right? It benefits CCP because it takes the blame off them. It benefits the people at the Wuhan lab, everybody involved in the Wuhan lab, whether Chinese or American, because it shifts blame away from Wuhan. It benefits the people who are doing the gain-of-function research and who are funding it. It shifts all of that blame away and puts the blame on who? The U.S. military. I've never liked this idea, this theory, that the, that the virus was introduced to China by the U.S. military at the Wuhan military games. Because that means that, that we're blaming our military, saying our military released a weaponized virus on the world. That's what they're getting you to admit. And think about how many accounts, how many random accounts that you've never seen a comment from before have popped into your social media or into a chat and said, COVID-19 came from the military games in Wuhan. It didn't leak from a lab. It came from those military games. How many people have said that? Random drive-by comments. Little CCP agents. At least some of them are. At least some of them are. As the development and domestic approval of COVID-19 vaccines looked increasingly likely in late 2020, aided by the U.S. government's Operation Warp Speed, this same group adjusted messaging to target the safety and efficacy of vaccines. The group tweets promoted effort to get rid of the virus by encouraging citywide lockdowns akin to the measures imposed on cities in the PRC after confirmed COVID-19 cases. On or about December 1st, 2021, the group used the Twitter account, which is just a bunch of letters, an account created on or about September 10th, twenty one to display a different Chinese name, quote, for those who have been used as chess pieces, repent early. The tweet tagged a Chinese virologist who fled from the PRC to the United States in 2020. This would be victim number 12 and subsequently alleged that COVID-19 was made in a government laboratory in the PRC, seemingly implying that the virologist is an asset of the U S government. Uh, Dawson writes, well, actually, let me read this first. 
um, that same Twitter account that's a bunch of letters, uh, random letters, also stated, COVID-19, why has the previous FBI investigation been inconclusive? Because they could not tell others that COVID-19 actually originated in their homes. And COVID-19, Jack kept saying that the COVID-19 came from Fort Detrick, and now I have to tell him you're right. COVID-19 came from Fort Detrick, and they've been trying to cover up the truth. It was officially confirmed by the WHO that Wuhan was not the original source of the new coronavirus. All clues are gradually leading to the biological laboratory at Fort Detrick, who participated in the Wuhan military games from the U.S. Army as a possible source of the epidemic. And Dawson writes, I had someone just a few hours ago try to use the U.S. soldier slash athlete spreading COVID at the Wuhan games line on me to support the latest Chinese COVID talking point that it was made in a lab in Ukraine. And that is what I really don't like. I, I really don't like this idea of COVID-19 came from Ukraine. Um, I've looked at it and I don't see compelling evidence for it. Um, a lot of people are this are fans of Trump saying China and thinking that when he says China the certain way, it's spelled with a Y and he's referring to a specific area of Ukraine. I've dug in all of that. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, there's no lab where people allege that there was a lab. And the lab that is closest by, there's no connection to COVID-19 from that lab. Um, I, I don't think that the idea that um, COVID-19 came from Ukraine, it, it's not very compelling to me at all. And it is compelling to the CCP because it blame shifts from Wuhan to Ukraine. And the CCP would much rather you blame bio labs in Ukraine than blame bio labs in China. So they've instructed, they've instructed their, their operators to promote that idea. And when one of them says, Oh, it's been proven. The, another one will come along and say, yep, that's right. I read that too. And another one will come along and say, that's right. They're just trying to cover it up and they reinforce each other's talking points and they try to make it look organic when it's not. So this is just one of the indictments this is the, the one that's 40. I'm not going to go through the other ones. I don't have time anyway, but I wanted to go back to right here, this part of it. The, the angle of the child, this, what this confirms what this confirms is that the CCP, Ministry of Police, Ministry of State Security, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, it is in their interest, and they have decided to fund and direct and organize groups of trolls, groups of actors, mal-actors, mis-dis- and mal-information agents, to go onto U.S. social media, portray themselves as conservative, 
portray themselves as anons. Post Bible verses. Celebrate Easter. Repeat what they read in other conservative media and on conservative sites. Just put it out there that they are one of us. And once they've done that and they've gotten themselves in the community to then try and shift attention away from Wuhan by finding anything else other than Wuhan to blame for COVID-19. So whether they want to blame snake venom or labs in Ukraine or the virus doesn't really exist or it's just the flu, um, anything like that, anything that steers blame away from Wuhan, that's what they're going for. And that's what these accounts try and push. Anything to get the blame away from Wuhan. That's when it comes to COVID-19 virus. Two, criticizing U.S. government policies when it comes to lockdowns, both criticizing that we didn't lock down and that we did, both angles, because it creates more and more confusion and contention. And then... The last one criticized the Trump or at least questioned the Trump vaccine. This is the one where I've done the most self-censorship on. I've said for a long time that I think that the vaccines are not as safe as advertised, but I'm not convinced that they are this boogeyman death jab that many make it out to be. And I've felt for a very long time that the criticism of the vaccines and the hysteria about the vaccines is artificial, that it's that a major part of it is artificially created and promoted. And the purpose of it is to damage Trump and to damage his, um, his, uh, his legacy to, prevent him from running again, to sow distrust, to um, upset people. Um, and there's, there's so, and I, I've thought this the entire time because very early on, I was watching VAERS right after the vaccine rolled out and looking at other reports about the vaccines. And I realized very early on that VAERS is, is gameable. You can exploit VAR, uh, the VAERS reporting system. You can easily exploit it. Now, what you do is you file a bunch of reports in VAERS like people have done, and then they takes it takes a long time for VAERS to come back around and verify your report. But in the meantime, what you've reported is there for others to see. So it drives the numbers up in one direction. So if a ton of people report adverse reactions to vaccines, which you would expect a lot of people would because the vaccines just got rolled out, right? So it's an experimental vaccine that was rushed to development and rushed to delivery in order to get us out of lockdowns. There's going to be a lot of adverse reports 
There's going to be a lot of adverse for It's a brand new vaccine. There always are. There always are. But it's what they do and the way VARES can be exploited and has been exploited. We know that some of this has, we know this has happened. We just don't know how much. Is you create a bunch of false reports and it takes months for VARES to come back and figure out whether that report had any merit to it at all. But in the meantime, it creates the perception that the vaccine is causing all of this damage. And in the meantime, people get paranoid about the vaccine and any illness that anybody has after they get the vaccine is blamed on the vaccine because it's the new factor that just came into their life that they're like, oh, maybe, um, maybe it was the vaccine that caused this issue. And anyone who passes away, if they recently got a vaccine, people's minds automatically start going to blaming that. And this is why I've self-censored on this topic is because it's so sensitive for people. It's so upsetting. And people are so concerned because it deals with injuries and deaths of friends and family. And there's such an, a, a current of anti-vaccine right now. And you can see how it's being turned against Trump. that I've self-censored on this topic because it's just not worth bringing up because you're just going to get, you're just going to upset people. And how can you ever tell someone that, you know, what they think is the case with a vaccine injury or death isn't the case. You can't, you don't know. Now they may not know either. They're acting on, they're, they're speaking from their belief, right? They may not know, but they believe. You're not going to change someone's belief. But it makes total sense that this would be a campaign in order to damage Trump. It's an obvious campaign to damage Trump. And it's an obvious campaign to sow discord and disunity and upset people in America. Um, there's going to be, like, we're in a phase right now after the rollout of a new vaccine that there's going to be tons of complaints and reporting on this vaccine like why why wouldn't you why why wouldn't you blame this vaccine um i'm not saying that the vaccine is perfect i'm definitely not saying that i already said that i think that the vaccine is not as safe as advertised but the the idea that it's a quote unquote death jab is ridiculous in my opinion and the idea that it's full of nanocarbon metals that assemble over 5G antennas is ridiculous. And the idea that COVID-19 is snake venom is ridiculous. And the idea that the jab is the actual virus and COVID-19 was actually the flu, ridiculous in my view, just ridiculous. And yet all of these things are things that are pushed into our community and are go viral and get a ton of attention and get repeated because there's literal, literal groups of Chinese bad actors spreading mis-dis and mal-info about vaccines and the virus. Literally farms 
of bad actors who are paid to do that. And it's to, it's to CCP's benefit and to the gain-of-function researchers' benefit and everybody involved with the Wuhan lab. It's to their benefit that this mis, dis, and mal info is picked up and regurgitated by MAGA, Anons, and regular people. And I, I think Trump is over there just taking damage on it because he knows the truth, but he is also like, how can, how can Trump come out and address this? You know, even if, even if Trump came out and addressed it like I am right now, think about how you look at the chat and look at how people are reacting to me presenting it. Everybody's picked up their line of thinking on this and um, they've, they've made their decision about what they believe. So there's no win. That's right. Cinco. There's no win. There's no win. There's, there's just, there's no win for me on it. There's no win for Trump on it. Because people are operating off of emotions and off of beliefs. And there's so much mystis and malinformation on this topic that you, can, you just can't, you just can't sort through it. So that's where I've self-censored. It's just, it's just not worth it. And in a way, I'm giving a win to these actors by doing that. And that sucks. But an important question to ask yourself in life at various points of contention or... Um, You know, just a good thing to ask yourself in various situations is what good will come from it. And on this subject, not much good can come from it. Not, not much good for, can come from it. And that's why I self-censor on it. So EDNY, shout out to the EDNY for making these bust. And, um... I'm really glad to see it. They also, the next day, busted some Russian nationals and U.S. nationals who were engaging in a disinfo campaign uh, with Russians. And um, yeah, EDNY doing work. And they deserve credit for it. And um, I wish they got more credit for it. I wish they, I wish they did. But right now, uh, we're in a time period where it's popular and uh it's in vogue to bash everything the fbi and doj does no matter what they do all right that is my show today um 
sorry to end on that note right there, but I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be completely human and completely honest with you guys. That's where I'm at on this topic. Um, and I think, I think overall the discussion that is born out of that, uh, indictment, um, the discussion is, that's born out of that indictment about, I mean, it's just revealing how so much of what we see in, in chats and in comments and online is there is a element of misdis and malinformation that people are paid. They're paid to spread it. They're paid to find your social media account and try and get under your skin or disorient you or disturb you in some way or bring you down or make you mad, some emotional reaction. And then and when you're emotional to then feed you some misdis or malinformation. That's the whole point. And you got to be aware of it. Like to me, that's the number one thing to take away from that thread and that indictment is you got to be aware that this goes on and you have to be discerning about who you engage with. Um, it's difficult. It's difficult. So sorry. Some of you guys disagree with me, but, um, yep, that's, just going to be honest with you. So, um, God bless each and every one of you. Hope you guys have a great week. I got to go and I'm going to get my kids and do all the arrangements and then fly out tonight to Arizona. If you, if you have the mind to please pray for all of us that are attending this event, uh, that we're safe and that, um, we have a good safe time and return from it better than we arrived. And, um, yeah, appreciate y'all being here today. If you enjoyed the show, hit the thumbs up over on rumble. I appreciate it. Thank you over on Foxhole. Um, Two Wild Irish Rose. Yeah, it can be mentally exhausting dealing with them. And I think that's part of the point. If the, Even if they can't get you to agree with them, with their mistis or malinfo, they will try to uh, exhaust you and get you to quit. Right? Because if you quit, that's a win for them. That's how it is. So, all right. God bless y'all. I got to get out of here. And uh, I will see you... I guess next Wednesday will be the next time I'll be live. You know, we'll be live at the event. So you'll see me then, but the next time I'll do a just human show should be next Wednesday. Who knows what comes out between now and then. Oh, y'all stay blessed. Have a great day.